Okay, hello everyone and welcome to Actus Radio, the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. Actus Radio is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today, Wednesday, May 31st, marks our 69th program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, uh, Process for Record Review Excellence. I'm joined today by my familiar co-host at left there, Sharm Brody. Uh, Sharm is a CDI education specialist with us here at HC Pro and Actus, and serves as a full-time instructor for our CDI boot camps as well as a subject matter expert. For eight years, probably more like nine years at this point of CDI experience, includes a background in consulting in which he provided program reviews and training to the medical staff, including physician education to various healthcare facilities. She's also implemented and overseen a CDI department in a small community hospital and helped with the revitalization of CDI at another facility. Proud to have her back on the show, so uh, welcome, Sharm. Hi, Brian. It's great to be here. I hope everyone had a good right. Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, I think we did for the most part. Good. We'll make that the poll question next week. That All would right. be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And next, I'd like to introduce our industry guest today. Uh, Glenn Krause is senior consultant with Federal Advisory Partners in Washington, D.C. Prior to assuming this role, uh, Glenn spent more than 20 years as a professional in the HIM field, holding staff and consulting positions in numerous healthcare systems, including revenue systems manager, director of case management and revenue enhancement, as well as director of HIM and technology applications. You may recognize Glenn, he previously served on the advisory board of Actus, has been a speaker at some of our programs and webcasts. He's been on Actus Radio before. He's got a lot of uh, background in MSDRGs, ICD-10, APCs, CPT coding. Um, he's going to be sharing some of that knowledge on documentation, E&M, uh, and good documentation practices in general on today's show, and I'm very pleased to have him back on, so welcome, Glenn. Yeah, thank you very much, Brian. Pleasure to be here. All right. As I always do, I'm going to start with a uh, poll related to today's topic. I ask that you please take it, and we will return to the results um, in just a few minutes. So the question reads, has your facility received any clinical validation denials resulting in a DRG downgrade? Your options are yes, regularly. Yes, we've had a few. No, uh, not sure. Perhaps you think it's outside of your CDI scope or not applicable for those that aren't working in a hospital setting. So again, has your facility received any clinical validation denials resulting in a DRG downgrade? Would you say that, yes, this is a regular occurrence? Yes, we've got a few. No, not sure, outside of our scope, or not applicable. We've got about 75% of our audience voting, so I'm going to go ahead and close this out and we will uh, come back to the results in just a few minutes. Thank you. All right. There we go. 
All right. So as I mentioned, our guest today is Glenn Krause. Again, welcome to the program, Glenn, and thanks for being a part of Actus Radio. Uh, so okay. let's, let's go ahead and just jump, jump right in. Okay. You know, the title of the show is Process for Record Review Excellence. I know you have a lot of thoughts on this, on how a CDI um, should review a chart, the steps or process. Okay. You've got some helpful links you want to show. So why, why don't you just start by, you know, describing uh, your steps for that and uh, let, let me know when I can show people the some of these links and I'll be happy to put these in the show notes of course but oh yeah um, great well thanks Brian you know I uh, the title is quite quite uh, uh, applicable because if we talk about our uh, our professional our, our, our name clinical documentation improvement I, I know many of you have read some of my blogs and so forth I can appreciate that improvement means more than just diagnosis and a lot of the a lot of the medical necessity denials, validation denials, and DRG downcodes are based on the fact that we're 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 kind of and I'm not I'm certainly not saying what we're doing is appropriate. Uh, we have issues of lo looking at a chart after the uh, after the acuity of the patient. Let's say two days into the stay or one day uh, in the real process, uh, and we're asking we're asking by the physician or the uh, non-physician practitioner to clarify a diagnosis when that when on that particular day the patient may not have had that acuity associated with the diagnosis and that's where a lot of these validation denials come into play because they they look at a diagnosis the outside reviewers look at the day that the, that the diagnosis was made and don't see the actual acuity of the acute respiratory failure when the doctor says patient alert no times three and no distress that's that's just like easy prey we're handing them a we're making it quite easy for them to question the diagnosis the real process I believe the most effective process is to begin the chart review in the and some hospitals have started the CDI in the ER and I want to just caution you that if we're looking for documentation improvement in the ER what what we really are looking for is the acuity of the the, the nature of the presenting problem chief complaint What's the history of present illness look like? There's eight elements in the HPI, uh, and the more the, the more uh, we have those described and shown, uh, the the more likelihood of supporting the diagnosis. We should be looking at the physical exam to see if it's congruent with the uh, with the history of present illness, signs and symptoms. Uh, looking at our, uh, our assessment and can we trace back our assessment of diagnosis, definitive and provisional, to the actual uh, signs and symptoms and the elements of the physical exam and the abnormal lab values. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we need to overcome is really uh, getting the physicians to understand what the record stands for. is communication of patient care uh, uh, and uh, to, the, to the mutual benefit of all the healthcare stakeholders and, the, uh, of course, the patient and, and, and the byproduct is going to be the solid documentation uh, when I say solid, I mean the entire picture. Hey, Brian, can can you bring up one of the links there? Absolutely. Would you like me to bring up I the uh, we have, we have, we have effective two daily can progress show note? Yeah, the progress yes. note, yeah. All right, I'm showing that one now. You had sent me this prior oh, to the yeah, show. Oh, okay, yeah, and, uh, and people, people will be able to have the link to this, right, Brian? Exactly, yep. Yep. Okay, and uh, folks, I, I really would like people to take a look at this uh, document. And I'm not I'm not certainly publicizing the the organization down in Florida, but I, I do a lot of research, and I think this is a really great tool 
providing an effective daily progress note. And and this is where some of our this is where some of our uh, uh, clinical validation issues uh, come into play because uh, we we have we have a situation where the doctor is not linking up an assessment with the findings, and it, it makes it much easier for the outside reviewer to say this diagnosis is not in play. Uh, so take a look at this, and I encourage people to actually review. Uh, uh, when you're looking at progress, not not just look for the diagnosis and the and the abnormal lab values or the indicators. Look at the entire picture and see does this really truly uh, uh, meet the requirements of an effective progress note. And there, can I pull up the other one, Brian, from Noridian? Yes, right here. Okay. So, and I think this for those of you who remember going to college. Uh, and the la last couple of classes before the finals, the professor usually would say, hey, you may want to read uh, this chapter, table six or whatever, or uh, item number, element number five on page number 95. Okay, so this is a similar concept. Uh, this, this is uh, Meridian, which is a Mac on the West Coast, but it actually gives you an idea of what they're looking for in a chart. And, you know, one of the, one of the uh, I think, challenges we have is that we our construct on how we operate, and I'm just talking globally now, uh, we, we, we focus on a diagnosis, uh, which is, of course, very important, but it's more than just the diagnosis. It's just the entire picture. Does this record make sense? Does this record, uh, if, if a physician was, uh, let's, say, let's say, starting on day two, hospice comes in uh, because the admitting physician hospice is to, it's, it's his last day and he has seven days off, can he pick up the chart and take care of the patient without having to really go back to the beginning? Uh, so can they, can they assume care where the doctor left off? And this, kind of, this really give, gives you the construct of the elements. So I encourage people to look at this because some of the deficiencies in the record that you'll see, you probably, when you look through this document, you'll say, hey, I'm seeing the same thing. It's ammunition for outside review with the second guest doctors. And uh, uh, and that's that's kind of what we have with that exhibit, right, Brian, with the, uh, with the aspiration pneumonia. Yes, absolutely. Do you want to go ahead and bring that up and we can look at it? Yeah. You know, um, you had sent us a nice example, Glenn, of yeah, clinical validation denial by Humana, um, mm -hmm. the patient with respiration, uh, excuse me, aspiration pneumonia with MCC. So I'm going to go ahead and pull that up. Glenn was nice to provide that for us uh, in advance of the show. Let me see if I can actually get my hands on that. Just give me a moment. Okay, while well, you're you doing to... that, how about if I ask Glenn a go, question? Go right ahead, Charm. Okay. Glenn, you talked a little bit about CDI and how they review a chart. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell me, based on what you've been saying, where do you think some of the vulnerabilities are? And how do you think CDI specialists can actually help with this. You talked uh, briefly about, you know, reviewing charts um, 24 or 48 hours into this day is, and mm -hmm. not doing that, maybe being in the ED. What are some of the other things you think CDIs can do? Oh, okay. Well, a good question, Sean. Uh, really, uh, I, I believe the standard is to become uh, more fluent with uh, what the what document, what, what represents good documentation, uh, what is a good history and physical. Uh, behooves us to become more knowledgeable about this, about the standards of effectiveness and documentation, uh, and with that additional information or skill set or knowledge base, core competencies, uh, we can we can truly make a difference. As I said, reviewing records in real time, uh, meaning 
uh, particularly since we have EHIs in most facilities, so we're not waiting for transcription. Uh, the record is going to be uh, maybe not not signed, but still available, the H&P. And, and having that ability to look at a chart, whether it's in the ER or looking at the H&P, and seeing if there's congruence with the ER note, and seeing whether the patient uh, patient's uh, HPI and nature presenting problem description and uh, and 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 showing of a high complexity acuity patient uh, uh, correlates with the diagnosis. That's that's what I think to be is the best standard for documentation improvement because after the fact uh, opens us up for more uh, second guessing Monday morning quarterback. Yep. Okay. Glenn, let's let's tie let's tie this into the example you wanted to show us in our listeners okay. on Actus Radio. This is a actual denial with obviously you know information um, blocked out in terms of patient identifiers, but it was an actual case of a clinical validation denial where the hospital reported uh, DRG. I'll scroll down. This is, a, this, is a, this is about a four-page document. Yeah, one seventy-seven aspiration pneumonia with a major CC. Right. Um, so this was the original build code right here in the middle of your screen. Uh, respiratory infection with inflammations, uh, DRG 177. And then the new coding assignment after Humana's review and, and um, clinical validation denial was DRG 194, simple pneumonia um, with CC. So, right. Um, that's, a, that's, a, could, that's a pretty major hit when it comes to right. reimbursement. And, and obviously, uh, this the, this physician was uh, uh, this physician was uh, uh, was actually queried for these diagnoses, and so, so if when when push comes to shove, our work uh, didn't come didn't, didn't 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 have a return on investment. I, and the, and here's what the I, I here's where the biggest disconnect is. If like I said earlier, if they can, can you move to the top line briefly? We uh, absolutely in the time. Okay, it says yep. right on top. Keep going. Okay, right here. A clinical validation was, was completed by a licensed board-certified physician, which we know is sus suspect because the board-certified physician doesn't review every chart. They can't. Uh, they, they create the checkoff list, and the nurses and the and all coders not putting them down. Okay, so based on the review of the medical record, was not able to be validated. And they give us some of the give us some of the criteria, like reduce unconsciousness resulting in compromise. Well, we have to have a, a description of a patient who's unconscious. Uh, beyond just a just a, uh, a coma score, uh, uh, so it all goes down to okay. Does the does the record contain these elements? Uh, and if we have dysphagia, it really should not be only listed in the past medical history. It should be listed right there in the history of present illness with all the risk factors right up front in the first few sentences of what the doctor's thinking because he's actually taking that information into account when he's actually when he's. Uh, taking an inventory of history of present illness, body area, organ systems, and so forth. So if you read this note and read between the lines, uh, like chest x-ray and that shows infiltrate. Well, if it doesn't show infiltrate, why is the doctor thinking still the patient has pneumonia? Is it a disconnect with uh, radiologic assultation and disassociation? And I know some insurance companies are still, no matter what, have their minds made up, but it certainly gets us a better chance of uh, avoiding unnecessary denials or uh, or having a much stronger case for an appeal uh, because we're talking about thousands of dollars here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought it was interesting where um, 
you know, they said specifically pneumonitis due to inhalation of food and vomit is not supported by the medical record. And it says, again, you know, they, they look for these type of uh, clinical indicators here um, based on the up-to-date aspiration pneumonia reference there. And they say on the top of page three here, there is no documentation in the medical record of any of the bullet points above. Um, therefore, the documentation. Hard, I find that hard to believe that they're missing every one of those. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone. Well, and because we don't like to call a doctor, sorry, Glenn, because we don't want to question a doctor's judgment, what would you suggest would be a good thing for CDI specialists to be doing? Well, I think so. Uh, you know, we'll get it, get it, and just, just in a minute, getting out of the, uh, going over and above the query process to, uh, to actually have a conversation with the physician. And I usually uh, focus on asking questions. And, uh, uh, from a clinical perspective, not second-guessing them. Like, what are your thoughts, or uh, how, how, what are the criteria you're using? In a non-threatening way, and most physicians will explain to you, hey, I'm, I was thinking this because of this. And then I'd say, would you mind please writing it down? And they'll say, is it important? And I say, uh, absolutely. And I give them, you know, hey, the next doctor who's taken over the patient wants to know where you started and where you went. So, it, 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 you know, it goes well, well beyond the query, and I think the last thing I'm going to say is it, it kind of uh, it, it, it calls into the question the effectiveness of, uh, uh, I think, remote CDI. I'm not putting it down, but I'm just saying when we have just a situation where we're querying positions off-site or in an office or, uh, or 2,000 miles away, it's hard to have a conversation with the physician. We can't change behavior through a query process. Can't improve yep. documentation through a query, just the diagnosis. Yeah. We've talked about that, Glenn, and I know that there's no way that you can talk to every physician. Nor, nor, that would be too intrusive, but sure would. You, recommend, you recommend the occasional um, educational opportunity be that. You right, and the last thing, discussion. and just, just in two sentences, I'm going to say, you know, uh, we can't reach out to every physician, but our message should be uh, uh, over and above a diagnosis and and uh, sepsis uh, versus bacteremia and so forth. It's the supporting information, yeah, gaining that knowledge base, skill sets, and core competencies to, to to spread the message. Perhaps with five minute presentations or at, at staff meetings or newsletters. That's the message we need to advance. Mm -hmm. All right, great. Well, at this point, we're going to go back to our poll question. I appreciate that, Glenn. Um, so Thank let me you. pull that up again. Again, we asked folks, um, has your facility received any clinical validation denials resulting in a DRG downgrade like we just saw? So your poll results are 24% say yes, they receive regular denials for clinical validation. 37% um, say yes, we do receive a few. So more than half answered yes, 61%. Okay. 3% um, uh, said no. 32% are not sure outside of their scope as a CDI specialist, perhaps, to see the denial. And then 4% not applicable. Okay, so, so can I, those, I, those are your can results. I comment, Brian? Absolutely. Let me, Go let ahead. Me, let, me, let me comment. Uh, well, I'm glad that well, more than half say yes. Well, not glad, but I'm glad they recognize it. The question I have is what are we doing to rectify or alleviate some of these unnecessary validation denials? Do we have any specific criteria that physicians agree to for a specific diagnosis based on 
specialty like uh, sepsis or infectious disease, respiratory, pulmonary, uh, and the other pieces. Uh, the other, yeah, because you can you can embrace quality, a continuous quality improvement without knowledge, without getting knowledge of how you're doing. Uh, that should be a KPI, by the way. And the second the second thing is uh, for those who don't, uh, it's really important that we do because there's no sense in querying a physician repetitively for a diagnosis and getting di uh, 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 re uh, denials, uh, clinical validation denials for the same diagnosis. It's, it's a perpetual treadmill. And I think it really goes down to, uh, I just want to add, the, the, real, the real challenge is continuity and consistency of documentation. Many of my colleagues receive clinical validation denials and have to appeal them based on the fact that the diagnosis is only once in the chart. It really, the patient's being treated, it, it really must be documented every day until it's resolved. Excellent. Every day. Okay. Sharm, any, any comments on the on the poll results? On the poll. I'm I'm a little surprised by the thirty two that said it's outside of CDI scope. Um, for us to do a good job, we need to know what we're being denied. We need to know the information that's coming into our facility to get better. So I would encourage anyone um, that's performing as a CDI, whether it's part of the management team that is actually look at the at the at the denials themselves, just to have an idea of what's going on though. No, I think that helps you become a better CDI. Mm -hmm. Agreed. All right, great stuff, guys. Good comment. Great stuff. All right, let's move on to our uh, In the News segment. So again, In the News is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. Today I'd like to discuss a recent article from uh, Fierce Healthcare. It is Senate Committee Advances Bill that Expands Telehealth Access for chronically ill Medicare patients. So you can read it here. Uh, this is the URL again, as I always do. I will um, put that in the in the link. You know, this is probably a good place to just remind folks because I've had people ask me, oh, I had to miss last week's show, for example. Um, you know, we, we record all of our programs and put them on the Actus website, and I'll, we'll show you where those are in just a moment. But um, I will be providing, and, and when I do, upload that show to the site. We put the links to these articles right in there, and I'll include the ones that Glenn showed earlier in the program. So just getting back to this particular article, uh, a little bit out of the box than I might typically show on, on uh, Actus Radio, but what I wanted to talk about was um, this could be a potential area for CDI to make an impact in, in the future, if not now, for those that have um, telehealth going on in their hospitals. But Essentially, you know, the article says the Senate Finance Committee about two weeks ago advanced a bill aimed at improving core quality and coordination for Medicare recipients, in part by allowing greater use of telehealth. There's an act called Chronic, um, creating high-quality results and outcomes necessary to improve chronic care. So these are for patients with, you know, multiple chronic conditions that they're dealing with. Um, and so they've passed a bill unanimously by the Finance Committee. Again, this is not, this hasn't moved all the way through the process yet, but it's received some strong preliminary approval um, that essentially, so this bill is aims to improve disease management, lower Medicare costs, and streamline care coordination services. Um, it lets Medicare Accountable Care Organizations, or ACOs, expand the use of telehealth services, specifically in their own homes. 
um, allows Medicare fee-for-service beneficiaries to voluntarily identify an ACO professional as their primary care provider, uh, creates an ACO beneficiary incentive program to encourage Medicare fee-for-service beneficiaries to obtain medically necessary primary care for services. Um, worth checking out here, again, as I, as I noted, it has received a um, fairly warm reception from healthcare industry and interest groups. Um, I thought this was a telling quote at the end here. The Better Medicare Alliance um, CEO and President Allison Schwartz says that the bill builds on Medicare Advantage's framework to offer even greater opportunity for flexibility and innovation and benefits in care delivery to address uh, the care of individuals with multiple chronic conditions. So some of the you know conditions that C that CDI might be involved in clarifying, especially if you have a Medicare Advantage contract. Uh, outpatient CDI, it sort of touches on all of these things, and I, I do anticipate we're going to see um, some rapid growth of, of telehealth services. And uh, so thought it was worth sharing with you guys is something to think about. If you're not already doing this, um, you know, I, I, I know that CDI, we talk a lot these days about operating in this new world of patients beyond walls, outside the acute care hospital setting. You know, patients with multiple chronic conditions strikes me as an area of CDI opportunity. I know the workflow might seem very different. Maybe I'll just ask Glenn, maybe to start with, if you have any comments on this. Do you see this uh, as a potential new, um, you know, outpatient CDI or other oh, CDI opportunity? Yeah, sure, absolutely, because uh, we are, we have inpatient critical access hospitals that don't have, let's say, a neurologist on staff. Uh, and uh, reach out to a uh, academic medical center maybe in the in the city capital of the state. Uh, so there is, there are opportunities. How do we how do we uh, because that that telehealth document uh, is part of the record that we're looking. How do we reach out to the physicians who are not on staff to provide that knowledge sharing on best practices? Uh, and it also I think relates to uh, telehealth perhaps with uh, remote facilities with readmission to the hospitals, we should be actually looking at how do we reach out to facilities that impact readmission because after all, for joints and so forth, the hospital gets penalized for readmissions. Absolutely. Great point about that. Yeah. How about you, Charm? Any thoughts on, on the article or, or uh, sort of the growth of CDI that, that could align with this? I think technology is going to change our jobs in ways that we just can't even fathom yet. I think it's wonderful. Everything, and I think risk adjustment is part of this also. You know, it's everybody is that's part of the the future of what we're doing. So I, I think it I think it will make a huge difference. Like Glenn said, you know, nothing better than being in Georgia and being able to communicate and have access to some of the better physicians up in Boston or California. It just can open so many doors. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and and also, you know, compliance risks like we've talked about earlier, you know, for those trying to get those chronic conditions adequately documented and supported in the record and uh, what it's going to mean. It, it, it It's interesting time. So recommend you uh, you check that out again. I'll be sharing the, the link to this on, uh, on the show notes. So why don't we uh, wrap up here with Actus Update. Um, Actus Update, again, is a regular feature bringing you the latest updates on what's going on inside of Actus. Today I'd like to take just a couple minutes to talk about a new position paper uh, published by the Actus Advisory Board. It's called Developing Effective CDI Leadership, a Matter of Effort and Attitude. You can download it here 
on the ACTUS website. It was recently posted. You may have seen it um, advertised in our CDI Strategies newsletter. Uh, for those that are ACTUS members, they had the opportunity to dial into our May 18th quarterly conference call with our advisory board where we reviewed this in some detail, kind of walked through the paper, and uh, talked about ways in which these our board members are exhibiting leadership and gave some ideas on how CDI specialists can exhibit leadership uh, in their own facilities regardless of whether they're not uh, whether they're our manager or not you know the paper posits that leadership is a uh, it's a characteristic it's a it's a trait it's not necessarily a job title so even those that are CDI reviewers can lead can lead up as we say but uh, recommend you check this out. It's very nicely done. Um, about half of our board contributed to writing it, and we had again we reviewed it on the quarterly call in more much more detail than I can do in the last couple of minutes here. But it's really it, it walks you through a five-step process for how you be, can be uh, grow as a leader, including um, you know establishing your own mission, values, and goals, and then moving on to your department's missions, uh, mission and goals. And it provides some nice sample statements that you might want to consider for yourself as well as uh, your department. Uh, recognizing your strengths and weaknesses is a big part of, of, um, of becoming a leader. Uh, we talk about some tools in here, like how to do a 360-degree assessment, how to get feedback from your staff, um, and use that to improve yourself. Uh, build a guiding coalition, how to enlist other departments to help you in your goals. Uh, for example, coding or quality departments, uh, physicians, as we've talked about on today's program. And then how to monitor your progress and share your experiences, You know how to make sure you're showing your work. Um, and this will help you grow as a leader. It'll help you grow the, your department. You know, we, we recently did a survey. Um, several folks took, and we shared the results at our our uh, recent 10th annual conference about uh, the present and future of CDI. We asked survey takers to identify challenges and um, they may have had. These are actual quotes that we included in here from folks that, um, that were having some obvious issues related to uh, lack of buy-in, uh, lack of administrative support, lack of awareness or respect from other departments and executives. You know, th these are real problems that a lot of CDI departments face. Um, and some of this is related to you know needing to get out there more. How do you how do you show the uh, the value of your CDI department? How can you enlist physicians? How can you enlist a physician advisor uh, to help enforce physician compliance? Uh, how do you get them on board in a positive way? Um, so there's that's really what this paper attempts to address. Uh, it's I think it's a it's a very nice piece of work again a lot of credit to our Actus Advisory Board for putting this together Sam Antonios uh, Karen Newhauser Tamara Hicks Judy Shadi um, other Laurie Prescott and um, Michelle McCormick really did the principal writing but um, worth checking out in its entirety on the website and I'll leave it at that and um, yeah, it's a it's a nice piece of work. So we'll we'll go ahead and wrap up today's program. Um, again, I hope you can join us back here again in two weeks. We're going to be back on Wednesday, June 14th, for an important topic, uh, a matter of principal diagnosis. So hope you can join us then. Um, as always, if you have any suggestions for 
future guests or ideas about the format of the show or topics you might like to see. I do look at those very closely, and that's how we get, get our show ideas. So please send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. That will do it. Um, thanks again to Glenn for his expertise and for Sharm for co-hosting, and uh, we'll see you back here again in two weeks. Take care, everyone. Thank you.